Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at I want to start with Galatians chapter 4. I, I told you recently I get most of my messages when I'm going to sleep or coming out of sleep. This was given to me as I was coming out of sleep. Galatians chapter 4, I can tell you, he, did, he gives me whole pages, and I put it all down. And then I go to my scripture and I start you know, putting more meat to it. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7, the title of this message is, In the Fullness of Time. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Wow, that's powerful. Now you have to think about this. For 4,000 years from Adam until Jesus, God was preparing the earth for this very moment that he would insert his son and take back what was rightfully his. You see, when, 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 when the devil came in and stole from Adam and Eve, he didn't just steal from them. He stole from us. And he took the title deed of, of earth because earth was given to man to rule over. So he took the title deed. You remember what happened when Jesus came and he, he died, rose from the dead. Ephesians chapter 4 said he went to hell and took, hell, took captivity captive. He went to the very gates of hell, took the title deed back that Satan had, had, had stolen and took it with him and took captivity captive and they trailed behind him as they went to paradise. That's scripture. Now, we, we see that, that it took 4,000 years for God to prepare all that for that insertion of time, which was the fullness of time. You have to, you're going to have to understand this. You have to understand history or you will never understand your destiny. So you have to, so we need to understand a little bit of what was happening during this time. The fullness of the time means the place and the time that God chose to send his son was the most ideal, the most ripe, with potential for fruitfulness of any other in all of history, either before or since. Had Jesus been born even a few years earlier, the gospel message would have drifted into oblivion because it would not have been transportable into all of the known world in only a matter of months. If had he been born a few years later, the world would have been too wrapped up in surviving the onslaught of depraved depravity and decadence that brought about the invasion by the barbarians and the demise of the Roman Empire. The place where Jesus was born at that time was at the center of the world. That small land bridge where Jerusalem sits perfectly nestled between and is the perfect connector for the continents of Asia, Europe, and Africa. Every major trade route in the ancient world passed through Israel. 
In fact, historians say it passed within a couple miles of Nazareth where Jesus lived. It was the perfect time. It was the fullness of time. Socially, politically, and religiously, the lines of human existence have never been more perfectly threaded together to receive God as they were at the moment of the birth of Christ over 2,000 years ago. Shakespeare, I don't often quote Shakespeare, but he said, there is a tide in the affairs of men, meaning there seems to be an ebb and flow to life and human history that almost demands that certain monumental events take place at certain times as the tide comes in. There are a handful of moments in history when mankind was perfectly poised to receive and experience spiritual giants sent from God to awaken within us a hungering need for a loving and righteous God. God at that moment of time previous to Jesus and during the time of Jesus, God himself made certain that certain heroes were placed in and thread into that historical moment that we could read about them in history. We could read about them in the Bible. The John the Baptist, the Pauls, the, the Peter, James, and John, the Lazarus, the Mary and Marthas, the Mary Magdalene, you go down the list. These were all people inserted during that time that God had prepared before the foundation of the earth so you and I could read about them. And so we could celebrate the historical heroism of these people. Heroes in the making who would shake history forever. On that Christmas night, the sky exploded with the light of the glory of God and his love for all mankind. One of the greatest moments of all time. The ebb and flow of history reached an apex at that moment and God broke through. Politically, politically, never before had the world been as unified as at that time. It was the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, extended in every direction because the Roman Empire was in charge of the world. The entire world was held in the iron fist of Roman rule. Pirates no longer ruled the Mediterranean. Roaming bands of robbers no longer ruled the open lands between towns and cities. The Roman rule of law was in place. The entire Roman Empire was united together with the intricate system of roads, which you can still see to this day. Because of the roads, the gospel spread like a wildfire through the civilized world at such a rapid pace because the people carrying the message could travel so far so quickly. The language. At that time, the world was united by a common language. The language was Greek, which is the language of the New Testament. The early missionaries could always find people who spoke Greek. God had divinely appointed this time in history because all of the basic mechanisms necessary to ease the spreading of the gospel were perfectly in place. Economically, the economic condition of of most of the Roman Empire, and particularly Palestine, had reached a crisis point. The extreme cost of war of the Roman, 
the colossal burden of taxes in excess of 50%, a growing overpopulation that strained the already depleted food supplies. There was more poverty now than any time in history. 10% were the elite, wealthy, and provided for themselves. 90% lived in poverty and slavery. Two out of three people on the streets of Rome and other major cities were slaves. They were owned, and they owned nothing. Life was so depressing and so riddled with heavy, unyielding labor that people were becoming hopeless. And at this moment, Jesus came on the scene and, and said something that, you see, his words were so gigantically powerful and penetrating he would say simple things like, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. They hadn't heard that before. The whole world was in chaos. The whole world didn't understand a savior, nor did they have a savior. At this, hope started to infuse their souls, for they had never heard such a message. They heard about God loves you and has amazing blessings in store for you. They heard, seek his kingdom and his righteousness, and he will meet every single need of your life. Morally at that time, the world had sinned itself into such moral depravity that there was a cancer of the soul that left men and women everywhere feeling desperate and hopeless in the vileness of their sin. There was a deep slide into moral decay and decadence. Disaster and oblivion was all they had to look forward to. And they had no idea how to escape that destiny. Sensuality and sensationalism, sounds like today, can hold sway for only so long. The only satisfying thing is the living Christ who comes into our lives. So the summary, for centuries, the moral spheres of man exi man's existence had been deteriorating exponentially for 4,000 years into, into unrestrained wickedness and the accompanying evils. But in the midst of this, there were a few men and women of deep vision and spiritual sensitivity who were looking forward to an unknown event with great antis anticipation because God had placed that in their hearts. Not many, but a few. Within man's hearts, there was a stirring. And there was a sense of expectancy from that a solution to mankind's hopelessness was just over the horizon. Mount Olympus had become so overcrowded with gods and goddesses that no one even took them seriously anymore. Caesar worship gave them no hope. And none of the philosophies gave comfort in the dark of night. The need was evident. And the time was full. It was the fullness of time. It was time for the Savior to appear. Everything was perfectly poised to receive the coming of the Prince of Heaven, the coming of the Redeemer, the coming of the Savior of the world, and the coming of the King of Kings. And into this, into this setting... <clears throat> The heavens are torn apart. They're torn open. And the angels stand before these surprised and shocked shepherds. 
broadcasting with the glory of the Lord the coming of the Messiah. <coughs> I find it interesting. Can I get some water, Caleb? <coughs> In that setting comes Luke chapter 2, Matthew chapter 1 and 2. And in that setting, we see this statement. Luke 2, verse 10. If an angel shows up, the first thing they're going to say, do not be afraid. Because you're going to be afraid. I mean, even when I feel him in the room with me, ooh, what's that up my back right now? There's a little kind of, you know, something in me. I have felt him. I feel him here today. But do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born, can you imagine the shepherds? Come on, put yourself in their, in, their, in, their, in their place. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. They've been waiting for 4,000 years to hear this. And these lowly shepherds are the first ones to hear it, meaning God has room for everyone. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Now, I'll just tell you right now, I think, I'm going to read the next verse in just a minute here. I think angels had been signing up for this assignment for years. Can you imagine? There's billions of angels. And they were all, can I be on that assignment? Come on, God. Here, I've done all this. Come on, God. Let me end on that assignment. And they're still alive, and they're still ready for the next assignment. Come on, we, we don't think in eternal terms very often. You've got to think that the same angels which, which came into presence and did things in the Old Testament, even the New Testament, are still available and are still properly doing things today. And so if you think about this, these angels, man, we get this assignment. Then verse 13 says, and suddenly, I like the suddenlies. There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. I don't know how many multitudes are. Millions, hundreds of millions. But can you imagine the entire sky lit up with angelic hosts? I'd be on my face. And suddenly, it was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now, I tell you right now, that phrase had been practiced for some time. Every word of God is divinely appointed. So their words were actually slated and practiced out. Goodwill, peace toward men. And in preparation for this very hour, the Lord had been preparing Mary and Joseph, the wise men, and all these others surrounding, surrounding this event. Including if you watch the cartoon, The Star. The donkey. I love that donkey. You gotta, if you haven't, you older adults, you're missing a lot. You gotta watch some of these animated things. The Star, it's called. Isn't that what it's, it's called, the star? And uh, my grandkids and I watched it the other day. It was, it was awesome. I'm going to go home and watch it right after this, okay? <laughs> Everything had been set up. God's a set-up person. 
the entrance of God to earth, Emmanuel, God with us. And from that time on, after Jesus entered, everything changed. Everything. Politically, economically, socially, morally, religiously, everything changed. You would not be in any kind of a state you are now if, that, if Jesus had not come. Everything changed. The baby changed everything. And his kingdom was introduced. Freedom is here. Slavery is gone. Freedom is here. Slavery is gone. Let me say it again. you got to catch this. Freedom is here. Slavery is gone. That's why our Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, is a written documentation of the Emmanuel event that happened at Christmas. It came out of that because it provided it never been written before in history. How man could have freedom in their personal lives, even in a governmental setting. That's why you must always oppose slavery and anything that comes against freedom. Now in our day, we're sitting here at noon, December 20th, 2020. 2,000 years have passed. Interestingly enough, it took 4,000 years to get to Jesus, which is four days, because according to Psalms chapter 90, it says a day is as 1,000 years. It also says that in Peter. So we see that four days went by, and now two days, because we've had 2,000 years since Jesus to now. Two days have gone by. or nearly. I don't want to freak you out. I could do all kind of eschatology that would just kind of cause you to just freak out a little bit in a good way. God's up to something. God's moving. I tell you, every time you see bad things just being heralded and, and broadcast and proclaimed, you can depend on it. God's up to something. So here we are, two days, 2,000 years later. We have similar conditions at work today, as I just noted. We are united by mass media and the Internet. Events everywhere in the world can be witnessed by the rest of the world in real time. The English language is spoken by more people on earth than any other two languages put together. You can find someone anywhere who speaks English. Morally, we seem to be bankrupt. Politically, there is much corruption and self-serving. Prophetically, we hear the prophets saying that God is near if his people repent and turn to him. I know it. I've been there. I was on the platform proclaiming the same thing out of 2 Chronicles 7, 14. And I knew as I saw in front of me hundreds of thousands of people on their feet declaring the same thing. God was there and he was up to something. Could we be in a fullness of time moment? 
What is God saying in this, in this time between waking up and kind of, I'm kind of in a daze, but I feel all these words coming in my, mouth, in my mind. The Lord spoke to me and said, tell him to take courage and take heart. Take courage and take heart. Take courage and take heart. Position yourselves and see the salvation of your God. That's exactly what God told Moses he was, as he was standing at the side of the Red Sea. Didn't know what to do. Where do we go? There doesn't seem to be any way through. God has a way through. Can I tell you something? I, I mean, I could, take, I could tell you things that would shake you. But I'm telling you, we are, I'm, I'm 70 years old and I have lived my life. I have never in my life seen the point we're at right now. I thought when I was in my grade school and teenage years that it was the end of the world. And it just about was in 1961. The missile crisis. And all through this, this time, I've been waiting for God to speak things and tell me what, what, is, what, what is happening, what is going on. I'm telling you right now, there is greater evil happening in the world in every quarter. It, is, it has invaded and permeated all institutions and people around the world. At the same time, God has raised up a church that is going to be without spot or wrinkle and powerful and anointed in such a way that we will see God move as never before. I'm not just, I'm not just, I'm not trying to hype you up. I'm telling you the truth. This is what's happening, but we're here and we're in the balance. The Bible says in Proverbs, you're in a balance and you've got to see what to do. We have evil and we have good. This is not, we see all this, you know, situation in America about the election, about this, about that. It, this isn't a political thing. We're, we're seeing this around the world. This is good and evil. This is good and evil. This is good and evil. This is about the church and about the Antichrist. And he who has an ear, let him hear what I'm saying today. Seven times it says that in the book of Revelations. Every time God speaks to a church, he says, he that has an ear, let him hear what I'm saying. I'm telling you right now, we could tip the scales. All we have to do is be the church. We, we have to do a few things. We have to, the scripture that screams to me daily. Oh, and by the way, Winston, you will confirm this. You have to listen to my radio program this week. You have to. Uh, we were in the studio this week. God came on us. He came on me like I've never felt before. I had notes ready to go. It all went to the side, and God spoke through me and Winston for four programs, two hours, prophetically. If I were you, I'd listen this week. One o'clock on KBXL 94.1, or you can catch it. Uh, they have it on the, 
the archives, and we also have it on our website. That's just a sideline. But if I were you, I'm going to listen to it. I can't remember what I said. I'm, I'm serious. I'm going to listen to it because I don't remember what I said. It's time for the church to be the church. Matthew 16, 18. Stay with me. I feel, I feel that same spirit. Matthew 16, 18. It says, Peter, Peter and the disciples were talking to Jesus. And Jesus comes along and he says, who do they say I am? And finally, Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, uh, flesh and blood has not spoken this to you. Your father in heaven has spoken. And I'm going to build my church. This is what Jesus said. I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, let, let me tell you right now, a first-mentioned principle of any, of any word or thought is very important in Scripture. This is the first mention of ecclesia or the church. And the very first thing that God says when he talks about the church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. In other words, we will have spiritual authority over the gates of hell. Gates always speak of authority. We will have authority over their authority. And you've got to learn how to take authority over devils. They have no right in you. In fact, if they come into your house, they're trespassing. If they come into your life, they're trespassing. Every night, my wife and I, we, we pray over the, our houses and our family, and, and our, we pray over the church and the property. We pray over you. And whenever we say we come against the enemy, we command you to leave because you're trespassing in the name of Jesus. Now you got to do that. That's why we were praying over Bob. That's why I believe Bob got healed is because we've been praying for him. We got to be the church, the ecclesia. You got to open your mouth. I keep telling you, prayers aren't prayed until they're said. And we got to start saying prayers instead of just, and we, we got to get past. Now, hear me out. I understand supplication, I understand petitions, but we got to get to the place where we're declaring and decreeing what God has already declared and decreed. And when we do that, we take authority. See, God isn't going to speak into the world because he has his body in the world. You are his body, and he wants you to speak. you got to get less quiet. Now, think about this. All three, my, my, my daughter tells, because I'm not in social media. I think, it's a, I think it's, a, it's a waste of time. And if you saw what they came out with this week about privacy, you better get off of it. Uh, just, just me. I, you might want to take some of these things I say and take them to Jesus, and he can tell you the same thing. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm telling you right now, we need, to, we need to start being alive with our testimony. Quit being so shamed and bullied. We, yeah, Rochelle, you know, you, you know my daughter Rochelle, she tells me all the time, she says, Dad, these people on social media... They just, they're, they're, they're always bullying and shaming and talking about this and talking about the, ne the negative side, of course. And I said, well, Shell, just get off. <laughs> but I'm telling you, you've got to step up your testimony and what you say and how you say it. And you've got to start praying. Now, we started back in July, we started a prayer app in our church. We have over 200 people on it. And it's, it's all the time. 
we have people assigned to prayer watches. And what happens is we, we, put, a, we put a prayer request on it and they jump on it like, like animals on meat. <laughs> and they, they start praying for it. And, and I mean, I had my, my personal, one of my better friends in life is Jerry McKinney, pastor in San Diego. And he was, he was battling cancer. He says, Jerry, don't worry about it. I'm putting it on our, on our, yeah. on our a group me prayer app. We put it on there. He's cancer free. And we, we, we started seeing miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. I'm just saying to you, you need to get involved in some kind of prayer. You, you need to get with people who are like-minded in agreement. You've got to become the church. And the, now think about this. G, uh, the, the disciples didn't ask Jesus, uh, teach us how to worship. Teach us how to teach. No, what they said is teach us how to pray. And then God said this. He didn't say, let my house be a house of worship. He said, let my house be a house of prayer. Come on, people. you got to open your mouths. The devil is after your tongue, and God is after your tongue. The devil wants you to slander and shame and curse and all these other things. God wants you to pray, prophesy, and praise. And when you start doing that, something happens. I believe. I believe this with all my heart. There is now a new, we, since we started this in July, there is a new atmosphere above the church that is causing healing and miracles to take place. Not just when we're in church, but we're in our homes because we are the church. It's not just in the building. Excuse me, I'm getting fired up. You've... I'm just telling you, you have to start being the church. Let your light shine. Don't put it under a bushel. Let your light shine before men that you may glorify, that they may glorify your God, which is in heaven. We got to start being the church. You got to start walking in the spirit. You got to start doing these things. Now watch this, Matthew 16, 18. So he says, you got to be the, you got to be the church and then you're going to take, you're going to take authority over the gates of hell. And then he says this, and besides that, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth, I'll then bind in heaven and whatever you loose on earth, I'll loose in heaven. So he's waiting on us to bind and loose. Come on. You guys are way too passive. Come on, you you got to get it in your belly. Now, passive, does, it doesn't mean you just got to be loud. That's not what I'm talking about. But you got to get passionate for the kingdom. We're, we're more passionate for sports teams than we are for God. I'm telling you, the older you get, the less interest you have in natural things. I don't have a taste. I, I've been a sports guy all my life. I don't have much of a taste for sports anymore. I don't have much of a taste for natural things, even news. I don't even, get this, I don't even watch Fox News. <laughs> I don't even watch CNN. Yeah, yeah. I have several sources that I trust. Yeah. And that's all I go. Yeah. I go to the Word of God. I go to all these other things and my trusted sources. Yep. So you need to get the keys of the kingdom. The first key is, is prayer. The second key is the key of knowledge. The third key is the Holy Spirit. And we can go on with the keys. I need to do a whole message on the keys. Come on, people. Do, do, are you catching this? You gotta, it's, this is not taught. This is caught. 
you, you got to catch this because God's up to something. And he's moving us into a, into a new realm we've never seen before. And if we learn how to bind, we learn how to loose, we learn how to use our keys. I remember when I was teaching school in, in Portland, Oregon years ago, one time I asked my class, and I have confirmation for this because I had a student in the, in the service, first service. This is like 40 years ago. And I asked the kids, who has the most authority in this, in this school, in this church? Because it was a school part of, of church. I thought for sure they would say the senior pastor. You know what the kids told me? I say, uh, the one who has the most authority? Oh, that's Brother Wincy. He's the janitor because he has all the keys. The kids told me that. Brother Wincy was, he was a former Catholic monk who had taken a vow for 10 years of silence so that when he was in our church, you would ask him a question, and he had not talked for so long that he kind of stuttered to get going on his language. But he was the most interesting person. He looked like a monk. He was short with a bald head. But he had the most authority because he had all the keys. Do you have all the keys? Are you working those keys? The key of authority? You got to take the key of authority. Don't let the devil bully you. Stop it! Come on, you, you've got to. I, God, I wish I could just shake all of this. You've got to start moving in your realm to be the Christian that God has authorized. Now, you, I probably said this last message, but I'm going to say it again. If you're in court, accused of being a Christian, is there enough evidence to convict you? God is asking the church to step up. Seek first his kingdom. Devote yourselves. Teaching, instruction, prayer, fellowship. We've got to be compassionate for the kingdom. And can I say something else? You people, and I'm talking to me, those of us that have been in the church a long time, you've got to be really careful. I find more passion in the new believers than those who have been in the church a long time. And I'm going I'm to say something else. You've got to be careful that you don't get used to doing things that are not godly. A lot of, you, do, you, do you know what I think? The greatest... The greatest sorrow that God has in the church is gossip. You should not be talking about the body of Christ that way. You should not be talking about the bride of Christ that way. And I'm, I'm talking to you who've been in the church a long time. You gotta, you gotta let God bring you back to your first love. That's what I've been asking God. God. Bring me back to your, my first love. What was it like when you first got saved? God, you're so great. I gotta tell everybody. Now what do we do? Oh, yeah, that was a great miracle, God. Come on, I'm, I'm talking the truth, aren't I? You see, quit looking at others in the church and pointing out their faults. Look at yourself and ask God 
to bring out the first love and that work in God, in you that God wants to do. That's not my notes. Thank you, Danny. So, I'm going to try to wrap this up. Let your light shine. Commit to pray. Open your mouth. Even do the little things. I, I find this interesting, but the story that I told three weeks ago, David and Goliath, 1 Samuel 17. You know why David was victorious? Because he had prepared himself in days of peace for the days of war. He created a habit of overcoming giants that came into his life through dedication and his worship to God. So when Goliath dared defy God in Israel, David did not shrink back but boldly proclaimed who God was and what he would do with Goliath and the Philistines. We might think that's cocky. No, that was a declaration decree of what God was going to do because God had already spoken into his heart. His one act turned the battle. Could your one act turn the whole battle? You defeated an entire nation. Positioned David to eventually become the king. Caused all of Israel to rise up and become what they should be. Can I just say this? Let's start preparing. You think it's war now? If you can't handle, the, if you can't run with the footmen during peace, how can you run with the chariots during war? Let's start preparing and setting ourselves aside to become the heroes of God and his kingdom in our day. We need to become supernatural heroes. God wants to make all of us heroes. He has inserted you here. Why weren't you born in 1500? Why weren't you born in 1000? Because God knew that he needed you right now and he inserted you into this time period. Don't waste it. I'm sorry, I just... God wants to make all of us heroes through our power of testimony. Psalm 101.6 says, I will make the godly of the land my heroes. Now, let me just say this. When you pursue God, it isn't all about you, just your personal fulfillment. I get, you know, people, oh, Pastor Ken, I, I, I want to be fulfilled in God. That's good, but that's not the greatest thing. You know what God wants? He wants you to fulfill your purpose. You want to complete your purpose. That's why Paul said, I have finished my course. That was his purpose. That was his blueprint. He had finished his course. It says in, in, in Acts, David fulfilled his mission what he was called by God to do, and then he went home to be with his fathers. God wants you to fulfill your mission. He wants to complete your course. And I think that's to become a David, Esther, Deborah, Gideon, Daniel. Go on. There's three things heroes need to be. God's supernatural heroes. Number one, God's heroes stand alone for what's right. There are times you're going to have to stand alone. You're going to have family, crowds, whatever around you who are saying just the opposite and you need to stand for righteousness and for God. I've always done that. Do you know, in my graduating class, there were two Christians, myself 
at a young lady who became a pastor's wife. And we decided to walk down the aisle together on graduation night to proclaim the goodness of God. And then I got to speak in my graduation. Stand for what's right. Second Samuel 23, verse 8 says, These are the three most heroic men in David's army, Joshua, Eliezer, the son of Dodo, and Shammah. Anybody who's the son of Dodo and is a hero is amazing. I got a better laugh for service. <laughs> Number two, God's heroes make sacrifices for others. They make sacrifices for others. Matthew 10, 42, even if you give a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, followers, you will surely be rewarded. And number three, God's heroes take risks for God. Come on, you got to start taking risks. Small things, big things, this is a great time of the year. I'm telling you, this week, look for opportunities to do something extraordinary for God. Take a risk. Let me tell you a story. I read this story years ago. It's a true story, Christmas story. There was a family that went to the store and they bought all the groceries they needed for Christmas. As they were driving down the road, the, the husband, who was very sensitive to the Holy Spirit, was listening to the Holy Spirit. And he got to one road and the Holy Spirit said, turn right. So he turned right. And then as he started driving down the road, the Holy Spirit said, stop at the third house on the right. He stopped at the third house on the right. The Holy Spirit says, take these groceries take him in the house. He did. He found out it was a widow and her children who didn't have any food at Christmas time. Do you think he was glad he listened to the Holy Spirit? I'm telling you, God wants to do that through all of us. You need to be so tuned in the Holy Spirit, you can hear things like that. You can do things like, you can become a hero. A hero. I want to, heroes are, are, can be small things, can be things that just needed to be inserted. I want to show you a video. This really touched my heart. It wasn't necessarily spiritual, but it was inserting something that had been vacant. Watch this. These are two representatives in the state of Pennsylvania. Watch what they did. Hey, everybody. I'm Representative Andrew Lewis. Hey, it's Representative David Rowe. Hey, we're in the Capitol uh, here in Pennsylvania, and it has been just a really crazy time, and we've been working around the clock. Um, we're here at the Capitol. It's after hours, and um, if you don't remember, last year we actually smuggled a piano into the rotunda to bring the true meaning of Christmas here. Um, obviously, much more serious times that we're in right now, um, but we found out. Dave, tell everybody what we found out well, here. For decades, there's always been a Christmas tree in the rotunda, and we found out that this year, for the first time in a lot of years, there's not going to be one. So, I mean, to me and to, to Dave, like, the most important time to hold on to your traditions is during times of hardship. And it's been a really difficult year for everybody for a number of reasons. And I just think that we think that if there's ever a time that we need a tree, it's this year. So we're just going to put all politics aside. And for tonight, just for a minute, we're all going to remember the true meaning of Christmas. And Pennsylvania, you deserve a tree. We're not going to let you down. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, guys.
simple, powerful. There's more to that, but <clears throat> can you find something to do extraordinary this week? Be a hero to someone. Open your heart to do the will of God. I have uh, another couple heroes. I don't know if you uh, have been watching our local news, but even our own Pastor Mark has been under assault. <clears throat> Pastor Mark is the chaplain of the Boise State football team. Two weeks ago or so, an organization out of Wisconsin called Freedom From Religion sent a letter to Boise State University as a result of a picture they saw on ESPN where Mark is in the center of Boise State football team and BYU praying together. And they sent a letter claiming this is not, that they need to have separation of church and state, which is a stupid argument. I mean, I'm a constitutionalist. I can tell you why it's stupid, but I don't have time. Uh, but they uh, sent this letter demanding that they get rid of Mark, chaplaincy, and all Christian influence over athletes. That's, as a, you know, nor normally, and with reality, the, boys, the university's kind of shocked. They didn't know what to do. So first thing they did was they said, well, Mark, we got to figure this out with the legal department and everything. So we can't send you to Wyoming, which happened a week or so ago. So Mark didn't go to Wyoming, but he Zoomed in. They didn't talk about Zooming, so. <laughs> and the, uh, the football team was so upset that uh, one of the coaches said, Mark, you've got scores of... Uh, Young men are about ready to take out of a, out this foundation. <laughs> well, um, yesterday or Friday, Mark's on the way to the airport. Susan's with him in the car. The president of the university calls him. He's on his way down to the game that was played yesterday, the championship game. And because they had allowed him to go down, they, he couldn't fly with the team, but he went down. And. Uh, the president said, Mark, I, I have some information for you. I want to read this to you. And as she read this, she cried. President Marlene Trump said this. It's a press release. Boise State University unequivocally supports and will fiercely defend our students' right to the free exercise of religion. It's shameful that parties external to the university are using a photo of student-athlete prayer as an opportunity to attempt to interfere with our student-athletes' constitutional right to freely practice the religion of their choosing. Despite misleading reports to the contrary, Boise State did not end its relationship with Pastor Mark Thornton. We seriously evaluated the constitutional considerations related to this matter. Our legal team made an appropriate response, and we remain committed to protecting all student-athletes' individual rights under the Free Exercise Clause, including access to Pastor Thornton. I'm not done. I'm not done. Pastor Thornton will continue to join the team on the sidelines, attend away games, hold chapel the evening before each game, join student-led prayers before and after each game, lead weekly Bible studies, be available to student-athletes who want to pray with him and seek his counsel, 
President Marlene Trump, who feels very strongly about this matter, has committed to personally pay for Pastor Thornton's travel to the Mountain West Championship game so that he can support our student athletes. We will also ensure that he is able to return to Boise to be a part of services in his home church on Sunday. We have taken action to protect our students' access to Pastor Thornton and other spiritual leaders our students may wish to call upon now and in the future. We have set up a fund to support Pastor Thornton's travel to our games, and if you feel as we do about this matter, we invite you to contribute to a free exercise fund for students. You can find that if you want to donate. I'm donating. I was present, this is President Trump, I was present on the field when our Bronco football team and the BYU Cougars knelt to pray together after a very intense game, said Trump. I was so moved by the players' ability to reach across a divide to one another in a difficult time. We need more love in the world, especially with all the crises we face this year. And this was a sure sign of it. I will always support Pastor Thornton, who has been a generous friend and spiritual advisor to me as well. Yeah, I think you should be standing on that one. Come on. Praise God. You may be seated. I am so impressed and admire her heroism. God bless her. Now, this is what we're going to do. I'm, I've already did this first service. I'm asking everyone who can to write a letter, an email, or a phone call. You will see it on the screen. Take out your phone and take a picture of the screen to Dr. Marlene Trump. You tell her of your support and your unfailing faithfulness to her and to Boise State and what she did. Commend her for her actions because that was heroic. Now, who, who's going to do that? Who's going to do that this week? Okay, thank you. You got to do it right away. Do it by tomorrow because if you don't do it by tomorrow, it's Christmas and ever you'll forget about it, etc. And when you address leaders and those in authority, you're always kind and honoring. Yes. Don't say stupid things. <laughs> you, be short. It doesn't have to be long. You tell her how proud you are of her. Yes. Connie and I, we were just crying and blessing her. You don't see that in most places. She stood up to the bullies and said, no way. That's what we need more of in this culture. She's a hero. Mark's a hero. Now, watch this. I gotta, you got to watch this. I got a video of Mark as he's down at the championship game. Watch him. Hey, what's up, Bronco family? And the rest of my church family in the Church of Valley and beyond. Man, I'm so excited to be able to share this particular moment with you. You know, Proverbs 11.10 says, When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. 
And me standing on this field is just another example of how the enemy always overplays his hand. And I kind of feel like the devil just took another L in trying to prevent God's people from praying and representing God even in a public arena. And I know it's Christmas time, but I want you to flash back and think about the story at Calvary. And on a Friday night, I imagine the devil thought that he had won, but what he didn't know was that Sunday morning was coming. So if you were following the story about our team last week, the devil thought that he had won. But once again, God showed that he works all things together for our good and for his purpose to be accomplished on the earth. Amen. So I'm not necessarily gloating over the enemy, but I am rejoicing at what God has done and truly believe that what the enemy meant for evil, God is going to turn around for good in ways we can only imagine. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask and all that we think according to the power that works in us. It says, Unto him be glory in the church. Amen. We certainly give God all the glory for what he has done. And in the midst of all the chaos and all the drama that's going on in the world, man, I hope the church will see that if we just continue to be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, God will respond in ways so remarkable that even non-believers will rejoice with the children of God. Hey, never forget that if God be for us, there's nobody who can stand victorious against us because the king of the world promised us that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Hey, God bless you. Go Broncos. Man, he was anointed. So good. See, see, our Christian life should impact our culture. Wherever we're at. I'm so proud of Mark. So proud of President Trump. So proud of all of you who do amazing things. Let's, let's let this week be the beginning week that we become supernatural heroes. And we find things to do for others that are extraordinary. They don't have to be big. Taking groceries to someone. Take, going praying for someone who's sick. Just blessing someone. Two scriptures to close. Matthew 4, 16. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region in shadow of death, light has dawned. Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's abound in hope this season. Come on, let's abound in hope. Believing for great things. Amen? Amen. I want you to, you should have communion. We're going to close with communion right now. Take your communion. Thank you.